0: Listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Wade Hinton, a native Chattanoogan who grew up on Chattanooga's west side. He was Chattanooga's first city attorney of color. Prior to that, Wade was Volkswagen's deputy counsel. Wade then joined Unum as its first inclusion and diversity officer. Wade is the founder and CEO of Hinton and Company, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. Wade, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about your legal career, your proactive presence in the community, and how an interest in music leads one to become a lawyer, let me ask you, what's in your Morning Cup?
1: It's normally a smoothie.
0: A smoothie. Uh, A smoothie,
1: and uh, I, I do protein with fruits. Uh, and a little uh, this morning with spinach. Uh, and I do that right before I head to the gym. I
0: knew I didn't like you. You're too <laughs> darn healthy.
1: I guess I'm joining millions, uh, if not billions on New Year's resolutions. And so I've, I've decided that this year I'm, I'm going to be a little bit healthier. And uh, I have an app that keeps me a little accountable. Oh, well, and that's uh, good. so and also I have a young daughter. And so, it, you know, I've got to make sure I can chase after a bit.
0: That's very important. And the app I have that keeps me accountable is called My Wife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, that's the best app to have, man.
0: Do you ever uh, invite in coffee? Yes, uh. I
1: do. In fact, that is normally my second uh, beverage of the day. Hey, how do you and take so it? Black. Sometimes I'll add a little cream, a little little uh, Splenda, but but that's it. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. I. You know, it's funny. I, I at one point would do a caramel macchiato every day. Or, oh wow. Or yeah, a caramel latte, and I would look at the calories. I was like, yeah. man, this is this is not uh, this is not healthy.
0: What is that, about 800 calories? <laughs> a lot
1: of calories. I, whatever it was, I, I decided to change it.
0: Well, Wade, the first thing I'm curious about is you grew up on Chattanooga's west side. How did that shape who you are today?
1: Well, it impacted me greatly, right? It taught me the importance of community. I grew up at a time when neighbors looked out for you. If you did something wrong, the neighbor would get on you, your mom would get on you when yeah. she got home from work. Um, where we had a a group of kids that we literally get home from school and go out and play and just play, not jump on a a video game. We would go out and and climb trees and and play uh, football and all those other things together. So it was a special time. It also taught me, you know, growing up um, because my mom was really committed to service that service was important. So she would have me, and it felt like chores at some point, right? Have me go do things for some of the elderly in our community. Looking back, like that really made a great impact on my life. And really, it uh, informed my decision even to come back to Chattanooga.
0: So you really felt a sense of community.
1: I did. I did. And it was, you know, those things that you look back on now, and you just truly appreciate how creative we were (laughs) with the types of games we came up with. And and so when my daughter is bored, I, I just, you know, I'm like, man, you got to just create something. And so I do see some of that. She'll uh, start uh, putting things together and, or try to create these games for herself and, and with us as participants. So I, it's absolutely amazing to see that, too.
0: Those are the days where you played baseball outside and the water meter was first base and and someone's hat was second base and on around.
1: Man, I tell you we played basketball on monkey bars. I mean that was that's how we yeah, it was a creative way but that's what we did.
0: I got to hear a little more about that.
1: Every little opening there was uh, was the rim, right? And yeah, you have a bunch uh, of kids and so you can block it and it was awesome.
0: You know what? That may be a new pro <laughs> sport. If pickleball can make it? Why can't that? Man, make it was it? fantastic. Absolutely. Um, Like a lot of talented Chattanoogans in the 80s and 90s, you chose to leave to go to Atlanta. I read a quote that you said As much as I felt at home on the West Side, I didn't think there was a place for me in Chattanooga. What brought you back?
1: Well, uh, Judge Sell, Christy Sell, came to the University of Memphis Law School to interview students for clerkships um, or summer associate roles. And I said, Why not? Really wasn't thinking that I would do it, but had such a great conversation with her. I ended up coming and clerking for the firm. It was Shoemaker Thompson at the time. And uh, I experienced a different Chattanooga than I did growing up. I saw places and was in rooms that I, I wasn't privy to as a kid here. And as I saw all of the activity happening downtown, you think about the aquarium, you know, new restaurants, uh, new development, I still didn't see a lot of people that looked like me in those rooms. Right. And thinking about what role could I play in coming back to be an advocate, uh, try to create opportunities and space for uh, more folks. And and this is not a question of like, you hear people say, I want to be the voice of the voiceless. There are voices. We just got to make sure we're creating room to hear those voices uh, and appreciate those voices. And so I chose to come back here knowing, though, that it would not be easy. Mm -hmm. But a friend, a mentor in Memphis, told me, well, it, it seems very... Uh, simple, but it's like, you know, you can never have two without having one, right? So you need to go back and then maybe that could encourage others to do the same.
0: That's a great way to put it. You yeah. can't have two without having one. So talk a little bit about that. When you came back, you went to work for the law firm yeah. and, and just take us to that journey a little bit. Well, you know, I tell
1: folks I really didn't know a lawyer until I was in college and I got exposure then and, and then began to see a law firm when I was in law school And so it was a totally different world to me. Right. And so I'm trying to learn how to practice law while I'm also trying to learn a culture, also being home at the same time. So it was it was a little bit right. But I enjoyed the time at the firm. But I would say looking back, I was the only person of color at the firm, including support staff. And so that was a little isolating because I sometimes worked longer hours and, you know, I, I wouldn't see someone. I would go straight to my apartment at the time and wouldn't see that much, uh, much diversity. And so anyway, that was, uh, you know, a time when I was thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be here, right? Maybe mm-hmm. I should go. And so I started looking at New York. I thought about Philly, uh, Atlanta. And before I squeezed the trigger on actually going those places, because I, I literally was looking at apartments and bar registration, I got a role with then County Mayor Claude Ramsey.
0: Okay. What was that role?
1: It was the Title six director, okay. and you know that was civil rights policy. It was uh, a small business and uh, disadvantaged business enterprise, minority mm-hmm. business work, right? So it was you uh, know allowed me to get out in the community. That to me was was pretty exciting. I love that that aspect of the work and uh, to be at the table and to advise, but also to learn. I learned yeah. a great deal in terms of leadership from uh, from Claude Ramsey.
0: He's a good man,
1: great man, and just steady. I absolutely love that approach.
0: You said something earlier that I think is an important point, and and someone like me takes for granted. Not everyone in the room looked like you, and I'm a 60-year-old white male. A lot of them look like me. You come in, you were early 20s, -20s. mid-20s. How intimidating was that for you?
1: I think a lot of folks go through what people have termed as imposter syndrome. You're at the yeah. table and you're asking, you know, do I really know what I'm doing? And and all of those things, those questions come up. Over time, you know, I just, I had to sort of find my, my lane and get into my own sort of uh, space in, in terms of my, my confidence as an attorney. I will tell you though, it wasn't until I started my own firm. I left the county and actually started a consulting role with the county to do the work I was doing but started a a small firm here with some friends. That was the first time I really felt like an attorney I was in the courtroom from start to finish, bringing in the client, getting to the courtroom, closing out matters as well, doing business transactions. That's when I I really understood what it felt like to practice law.
0: And you were also a small business because you had your own firm.
1: It took me a while to understand the concept though, right? It was like, you're just practicing and doing the service, but there was a complete business aspect to this as well, that we don't really think about the business development, marketing, all of those things and tools that you need to really be a sustainable organization.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it's something you think about now with with, with your business.
1: Well, it's been helpful. And so that sort of mindset, the entrepreneur mindset, when I take that to a law firm, or even going to corporate, you're always thinking about how do I add value? And it's just a different perspective when you're leading because it's, It's all right, let's try something innovative. Let's do something new, right? And if you've been in corporate most, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but it definitely takes some training to get you to that sort of entrepreneurial mindset.
0: Well, that's a great point because I I spent most of my career in corporate. And one of the challenges I have now in running my own business is I don't have to ask permission. Mm. And I find myself being that negative voice Mm. that Mm -hmm. corporate would be, well, we don't do that. So you're absolutely right. It takes training and you gotta break those habits. So you start your own firm. Was Volkswagen next?
1: I actually went to Miller Martin, and they recruited me over to do corporate. I mean, I loved being in the courtroom, but I also found myself really loving to counsel. And uh, there were attorneys that were litigious for, or adversarial for the sake of being adversarial because they could bill. And I'm like, well, here's the answer, right? <laughs> and so here's let's just get to this. I mean, certainly advocating on behalf of my client, but I'm also just being sort of practical on how this was going to play out. And nine times out of ten, it played out like I, I would imagine. And so. Went over to Miller Martin. That was absolutely a great learning experience, working with folks like Hugh Mm Sharber, and others that taught me a great deal, especially with larger transactions. Mm -hmm.
0: And from there you went to Volkswagen? I
1: did, I went to Volkswagen. And it was an interesting thing because I always tell folks this was like Dick Cheney uh, doing a (laughs) vice presidential search. I I have, I was contacted by a mentor, Warren Logan.
0: Good man, I like that. Man,
1: listen, I'll share later, but I'll just say this. When I started Hanson and Company, this was the first decision I've made from a career perspective that Warren yeah. didn't advise me on since I don't know when. Uh, so it's been a while, and uh, but he sent me this job description. It's like, hey, do you know anybody? Because I'd been he would send me things. I sent it out to my network. I'm looking over it. I'm like, man, this, <laughs> this sounds interesting. And so i had already been doing some behind the scenes work for Volkswagen. So and
0: this was as they were building a plant. This right?
1: this is as they were building a plant. Yeah. This is in 2000. And nine, really, that he he sent that over and said, Well, I'm interested And yeah. the rest is
0: history. How has the culture changed with a German company? I'd been a drummer marshall fellow,
1: so I'd, it wasn't that big of a shift. I mean, I, I think that we have the kind of stereotypes. I I just it was fine. It was yeah. great. I think one of the things though that was an adjustment, more so for some of my German colleagues there in the US were very sort of service centric. And that's not in nonprofits and all of those other things, right? That's not necessarily the case in Europe. It's getting more and more of that. Like you do see a lot more charities, you see a lot more NGOs. Uh, but it's not the same in terms of the uh, the structure. And so that was an adjustment for some because I was very service very service oriented in terms of like serving on boards and and, and leading different task forces. And and so over time, they saw the the value in having people in the community serving on things and and uh, being being connected. And so now it's I think it's just how they operate, which is great.
0: Now I forgot you were a German Marshall Fellow, so that was a year long fellowship.
1: Man, I wish it was. Uh, it was about a month.
0: Oh, really? a b- I thought it was yeah. longer. But yeah, you went to month. Germany, right?
1: Went to Germany, Poland, France, and uh, oh, and, and Belgium.
0: What did that do for you in terms of exposing you to different cultures or opening your eyes to the world?
1: Well, so it helped a great deal. So one thing I will tell you, is when I was in law school, I studied in Hungary. I studied in Budapest for summer, and that began to shift my or shape my worldview a bit, right? Because yeah. I'd been in the U.S. and and so I couldn't see what our role was in in sort of uh, global politics, and so I began to better appreciate that after that uh, study abroad. And so that actually got me interested in wanting to participate in the German Marshall Program. Also, had it hosted some who came to Chattanooga. But really understanding at that point, one of the, the big issues was uh, centered around uh, Turkish immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially in Germany and how that showed up in a way that really reminded me of how the U.S. was viewing Mexico and Guatemala and so many other uh, folks who were coming through the through, uh, rest sort of the southern borders. And so the conversation was very similar. And that, to me, again, show how much similarities we do have and the challenges that we can face if we can come together and and talk about some of these issues.
0: I would imagine it it also showed you that we all share the same problem.
1: That's right. I mean, the same problems, the same desires. And what I would say is uh, even when I looked at policy issues, even a city attorney, I, I would have an administrator come to me and talk to me about an issue. I'd actually think about something that I read about happening in Spain. And yeah. I'm like oh, if people wanted more pedestrian, I was like, well, let's think about a pedestrian plaza. I think there are some cities in Spain doing So, so even as uh, we saw the uh, the new Broad Street, it creates some of that. So it just, again, there are a lot of answers out there. We just got to make sure we're talking with one another to connect in that way to, to make progress.
0: That experience and that communication is important. So, Andy Burke gets elected, you get recruited to be the city attorney and you're the first city attorney of color in Chattanooga. That's right. I can't remember. You'll have to tell me, were you all eight years with Andy?
1: No, I left a few years before his uh, second term was up Mm -hmm. and went over to Unum.
0: How did you like working in government?
1: I loved it. I mean, I had the experience at county and so I knew a little bit about how that worked. Even my time at BW was close to government in a way because we, we had relationships at the state level, and especially at the local level in terms of the overall projects. And so I, I would help with managing those relationships at times. And so very familiar in that sense, but coming in to manage a team over at the city attorney's office, getting them in, and really encouraging them in a way to think about how we can proactively uh, work with our clients and that uh, administrators, the mayor's office and others, because oftentimes you think about attorneys, it's like, well, after something happens. Yeah. And I really tried to take an approach of, what's your vision for your department? What can we do in terms of policies that can help?
0: More proactive.
1: Pro, more proactive, and 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 doing it that way can be truly helpful. I mean, we we had a couple of suits happen, but there weren't a lot that came from our work there. So.
0: Then you go to Unum. So touch a little bit on Unum, but also. How important those relationships you build along the way because you touch in different communities and different groups every time and building different relationships.
1: Yeah, so I think going back to my time at the county when I was uh, doing the policy work, it was clear and I even did diversity training and all of those things before DEI was what it is today, really appreciated the value of trying again to create those pathways for folks to have opportunity. And so even when I was city attorney, uh, worked with law firms and companies to create the Legal Diversity Consortium, which was a group of firms and organizations and government to help increase diversity in the legal profession, right? And so that work Also, Board Connector, where we were trying to get more folks uh, who are interested in serving on boards, especially underrepresented, as to boards who were trying to be inclusive uh, or DEI-minded. So taking that and... Thinking about Unum and the work they were starting when it came to inclusion and diversity, at the time it was diversity and inclusion, uh, but the work they were doing and, again, the vision I had for what we could do as a community and what I was passionate about, I said, you know, we can go over and really make impact not only in that organization, but also help think about beyond the four walls, how we can play a role in shifting things in our community. And so having those relationships, going back to your question, having those relationships mm-hmm. in the community really helped because even as we brought in speakers, we would try to also bring in some of our partners in the community to uh, also be able to participate and benefit, if you will, from, from some of the work we're doing.
0: How long were you at Unum?
1: A little over two years.
0: Two years, and then the Mayor Burke reaches his term limits. And and you decide to get in the city mayor's race. And another quote I found interesting and and very accurate is, you said the leadership of our city did not reflect the great diversity of our citizens. And that's one of the reasons you ran. Expound upon that a little bit.
1: Well, if you look around, we're a city that's close to 40% people of color. You know, if you go into rooms that you and I both go (laughs) in, it doesn't look like that. Maybe 10%. Maybe 10%. And we know that it means a couple of things, right? It means that we're really losing out perhaps some great talent right here in the city. And even going back to the point you made earlier about folks who grew up in a certain time frame, they left, yeah. never came back. And so what do we do to make sure we're keeping that talent? It's again, we have 40%. You, you have an opportunity there to do that. We think about uh, that women make up basically a majority of our city, but you're looking at the large employers. You, you have Memorial who has a woman as a CEO. Have, uh, but not a lot here yeah. in our city, right? And uh, now I think we have a majority of women on the city council, I think. But if you look at the county commission, it's, it's not, right? <laughs> so we've got, some, we've got some work to do. And that was a reason. And I also wanted to begin to shift the thinking uh, that there can be a person of color in a leadership role such as the mayor. There can be uh, African-American CEOs and there can be women who lead these So we, we wanted to begin to challenge the archetype that this is what leadership looks like.
0: We can talk about it and you can tell people this is what it should be. But for a lot of people, until they see it, they don't believe it. Yeah.
1: And so what message are we sending to whether it's the Wade Hens or the Mike going growing up here about what they can be. Right. And if we're not showing them in terms of the leadership roles, if we're not visibly showing up in media, if we're not doing those things and people can't see this, then why would they think that this is a place that they can succeed? When you go to Atlanta, uh, you go to other places, it's pretty obvious there's opportunity, there's a path for me. And so when you don't have that visibility, it makes it harder, right? I'm not necessarily wired to say that, you know, obviously I'm back here and and I didn't have to see anyone to say that I could do this, but you know, we do wanna make it easier. We're not gonna be Atlanta, we're not gonna be Charlotte, but we can make it easier for folks to know that there's a path for
0: them. Yeah, and and that's a critical way of looking at it, in my opinion. Um, You grew up in the 80s and 90s here in Chattanooga, you're back. Chattanooga's been feted. Oh, wait, I Ch- do
1: want to say that I've been telling a lot of folks I'm Gen Z, so don't don't out me here, okay?
0: <laughs> well, here's where you're safe. I can't keep what generations what. All all I know is I'm old. <laughs> but you grew up in a time here in the city before it really hit its big changes in terms of the quality of life in the city. But there's still a lot of things that remain the same. So. Contrast a little bit of what you grew up with and what you see now and what you hope the future to be
1: here. Yeah, and you talk about quality of life, and the question is for who? Some groups have a great quality of life, uh, and others we know struggle. We've got to figure out a way to make sure we're removing barriers to allow at least for that growth, right? We've got to make sure that we're being very thoughtful and intentional about how do we create pathways for people to, whether it's the West Side or if it's Thinking about even our friends who are housing challenged, right? How do we make sure that there's a way? And this is not about handouts. This is really about making sure we're creating a place that folks know that it's a given that they count and that yeah. they matter. And we see value in them and that we appreciate them and there's dignity in that. And so I think that's where the work has to begin. It's hard work to do that. And my my hope, my true belief is when we work collectively and we get out of our own way in many ways, then that can happen right yeah. that can happen but we are caught up in the security and things of but we have we, we're caught up in our bias we're caught up in our emotion our fears that people love to play on at times and that keeps us from really being our best as a community and honestly it keeps us from being our best as people and as yeah. as individuals as well
0: i think one of the fears is that people believe it's a zero sum game that if if someone Else picks up opportunity that means they're losing opportunity.
1: I think that's absolutely right and I can cheer for you and I can want you to be successful without feeling like I'm losing something in that. But I think you're absolutely right. You think about even Folks say, well, I have to give up my seat at the table. Sometimes, you know, I would say it's yeah, helpful to be thoughtful do. about that. If you're committed to, to really having equity and inclusion and diverse. And by the way, including me at times, right? So if I'm serving on 10 boards, maybe I can step away and get five and make room for, for others. And so that was part of what Board Connector was all about. But it really is about creating a bigger table and allowing folks to come to the table as they are and be able to partake in all the benefits that we have as a community.
0: You've taken that passion and developed your own firm, and you're working with large companies now.
1: So after the mayor's race, I really had a chance to sit and be still for a while and reflect on ways I could still make impact. This work I'm really passionate about, and you know, some folks ask me, do I miss practicing law at times? And and I I do miss the courtroom. I do miss some of the negotiations, but this is also helping organizations mitigate their risk, Mm -hmm. right? I would counsel clients on, hey, Watch how you do this. Let's word it this way to, to make sure there's lower risk for them. Telling folks, do this, help try to create an organization that is a place of belonging, a place that's inclusive, or you're not going to be able to keep talent. We saw that through the Great Resignation, and it's going to be harder for you to actually attract talent as well long term. And so this firm, Hinton & Company, uh, was birthed out of the idea that you know there are number of organizations that are interested and are committed to moving forward but just sometimes get stuck. And so we help partner strategists with them. We come in and give them the tools and resources they need to be successful.
0: How are you finding the acceptance from large corporations in this city to opening up their conference room, for lack of a better term, to more seats around the table? I would say
1: for a lot of the larger employers here, you think about Unums and the Blue Crosses, TVAs, they, they have people on their teams that are leading this work, we stay in contact as a resource, as thought partners, and just thinking about how we, again, work together as a community to move the needle. But I do see some shifts. We just completed a study called the Community Culture Index, and I think 42% uh, organizations that took the survey out of the 60 said that they still lack diversity in, in senior leadership roles. We've made a
0: lot of progress, but obviously the road is a long road.
1: It's a long road. It's a journey, and it's our journey. Can't compare ourselves to other communities. We're Chattanooga.
0: You hear a lot of, oh, we're, we're like Boulder
1: or we're like this. No, we're going to be the best Chattanooga. We want to be the best Chattanooga and we have great assets here. And the thing is we've done a fantastic job of like addressing or taking advantage of our physical assets, right? right? But man, the people here, right? What can we do to make sure we're unlocking all of the talent here? Yeah,
0: Yeah. Because when we do, that will just take us that much further.
1: Thinking about how much it costs to recruit. In how expensive it is to actually lose an employee. And sometimes it's because, again, they don't have this sense of connection in our community. And so think how hard or easier, how much easier it would be if you could actually recruit folks from our own hometown. But we tend to overlook that. And the reason I say that is because when we talk to those same organizations about what particular subgroup, when you think about women and veterans and people with diverse abilities, of those subgroups, what's the hardest one to actually recruit 67% said people of color. So in a city that's 40% people of color. They're having trouble help. recruiting. So again, let's unlock that talent, make it easy for organizations. And again, I think long-term for our community, we'll be in much better shape as well.
0: Well, you obviously have a great love for this community and glad you came back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I do have two more questions yeah. for you. I have to know, are you to go to Vanderbilt to study music and end up in law?
1: Oh, well, so Vanderbilt was always my number one choice. My grades were all right. You know, I'm still uh, honors, but not not the 4.0 uh, that Mike Costa had. Oh yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't I, add <laughs> all mine together and get the
0: 4.0 weight. <laughs> so
1: I tell folks I graduated not summa cum laude, but thank you, Lordy. Uh But I play bass, double bass, most of my years from about nine. Still uh, playing? I play around a little bit, and so I auditioned for the Blair School of Music. On the staff at the time was a guy named Edgar Meyer. He was at the time the number 1 or number 2 basis in the world. So, I'm auditioning in front of this guy. Wow. I get a chance. He takes me back to his office, gives me a little lesson and some things and it's fantastic. Get in. I reflect on the weekend itself. He was fantastic. The city was not at yeah. that time. This was before Titans. And you know, coming from Chattanooga where didn't feel that sense of social connection I I need to be in a place where I can just go and be. And Atlanta offered that. Yeah. Emory afforded me that opportunity as well. And so to get out and see diversity and to also socially be able to connect. And so while I was down there, I did things like promote events. I would help organize concerts on campus. And part of it, I would see those contracts and at the time, one of my chapter brothers was the head of uh, legal affairs for LaFace Records. And LaFace at the time had OutKast and Usher. And so just having conversation with him made me think, oh, you know, I really, you know, I love music. Right. And entertainment law could be a way for me to do that. So I went to law school thinking I would do that. But over time, really found my love of service continued to bubble up. And I did a couple of deals when I moved back to Chattanooga, a couple of uh, artists, but ultimately found uh, that this work uh, that I'm doing now is, is really what brings me joy.
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you chose it. Last two questions for you. Where do you want to see Chattanooga in 10 years? Because everyone has a vested interest, but you've got a passionate and vested interest in it, and you're involved with helping to change it. So where do you want to see it in 10 years?
1: I want Chattanooga to be in a conversation of the Edge city for a number of reasons, right? It's the Edge city now if you're an outdoor enthusiast. But I also want it to be an Edge city if you are coming out of the HBCU and you want to go to a place where you feel like you can get opportunity and you can see that opportunity. You can see that people are in leadership roles and there's a path for you. And people talk about Chattanooga being a great size that you can get some things done by starting things. And I want people to know that when you're leaving, you're trying to choose a city, this is a place for you. When you're growing up here in 10 years, you look around, you see that There's a place for you. You see around you from an optics perspective, you know that you belong and that you're connected. And that's modeled in how our corporations look. Mm -hmm. That's modeled in how our government looks. The types of programs that are happening, the type of wealth perhaps that's created. Um, But the way that we treat uh, those who may have challenges. Economically, Those who may have challenges from a mental health perspective, we want to be able to be that city that people talk about. And it's, it's a it's city for so many other reasons than just, I love the outdoors. I yeah. hike a lot, but we want to make sure we're making this a place for everyone. Yeah.
0: It's a great vision. Last question for you. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is the key for a happy life?
1: I would probably tell 25-year-old Wade, be patient. I will tell you this, that my faith has sustained me whenever I would get that inkling as that 25-year-old to think about other cities and the types of roles I wanted. God always came in and said, all right, you want a global role? Here's this. You want to do this? Here's—and so be patient. That's one. The second thing I would say is there will be people that uh, criticize. Make sure that those are people that you would go and seek advice from, Yeah. And then the third thing is stay connected to your folks, your friends, make time, be intentional about it, and celebrate those successes along the way. I was very blessed to have some amazing roles. What I would do, uh, I've just gotten much better at this, Mike, is as soon as something's done, like if we close the big deal, I'm like, all right, what's next? And so I'm better at just trying to take a moment And my team forces me to do this a little bit too. But taking a moment to just take it in, it's like, all right, that's great. And so because we think that that happens every day and and we want to make that success normal, but there's also an appreciation because you know how much work went into it. You and I talked about this a little earlier. People don't really appreciate there's a journey along the way. And as much as I've had success, there's been some moments where I have absolutely not been excited, right? I've been completely anxious about some outcomes or just worried on on particular things. And so just know that there's a lot of prayer that goes into this, right? I had to you know, make sure I had mentors in my life along the way I mentioned Warren Logan earlier. You can't make decisions on your own. And there's no one that I know that's been successful that hasn't had someone in their life to help guide them along the way. So
0: those are such important points, particularly for a 25-year-old understanding patience, you know, and that you have to rely on people beyond yourself. Wade, this is great conversation. I always enjoy talking to you. I really appreciate you joining us today.
1: Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for uh, inviting me. And I'm just excited to see the work you're doing here in the community, continuing to have conversations like this. And uh, just much success.
0: Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.